1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 10. Now I, now I exhort you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all say the same thing, and that there not be divisions among you, and that you be made complete in the same mind and with the same purpose. For it has been made clear to me, according to you, my brothers, by Chloe's people, <laughs> I like that translation, Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you, But I say this, that each of you is saying, I am with Paul, I am with Apollos, I am with Cephas, and I am with Christ. Has Christ, in verse 13, been divided? Paul was not crucified for you. I loved how Paul talked about himself like he just never portrayed himself. He was able to talk about himself as an apostle called of God. Then at the same time, he was able to talk talk about himself like, like in a sarcastic way. You know, like he didn't take himself too seriously outside of who he was in Christ. Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? By the way, it's important to remember, and we'll see this later on in the book of Corinthians, that Paul uses a literary form called sarcasm. So he'll say sarcastic things that sometimes, if, you're not, if you don't know that about Paul's writings or his, the way he speaks and his literary um, disciplines, you're going to think he's going to be sometimes talking about literal things like tongues of angels, for example. You know, like you're going to think like, okay, what are the tongues of angels, you know? And, and so we'll get to that later. But Paul here is being a little sarcastic about himself. And he says, uh, was Paul crucified? Was, Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Verse 14, I give thanks that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Oh, wait a minute. There's a, maybe a denomination that would have a problem with this verse, you know? Like, Okay, so Paul, the apostle, you know, general, five-star general in the New Testament, is, is rejoicing that he's not baptized people. I think there's some, or there's some organizations that, hey, and this has happened to me, that like, hey, we've had these decisions for Christ and discipleship's happening. And then the question is, were they baptized? And that is really the biggest question. And Paul here is saying that, that like, that is not the issue. And he said, now I baptized the household of Stephanas in verse 15 and 16. Beyond that, I do not know if I baptize anyone else. And look at verse, verse 17. Verse 17 really encapsulates these seven verses and really kind of puts into place the clincher of what he's trying to get from verse 10 to verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Okay? You could put in that word baptize anything else. You could put like... Christ did not send me to start humanitarian religious programs. Or, those are good things. Christ did not send me to um, be a good psychological, Christian psychological teacher. Or we could put in and any other kind of thing that we see that's in Christianity that's very popular. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. Pastor Shabelli said this this past summer. And it's just stuck with me since. And he goes, when you think about the mission, when you think about missions, when you think about the work, the call of God, when you think about body life, and that's what we're talking about here, the principles of body life in these Wednesday nights. We have to remember, he said, you have to always start with the question, why? You have, to, you have to be able to answer that question. Because our experiences, and I'm sure it's yours too, is that there are times when things get so crazy, so discouraging, so scary, so adverse, 
that you find yourself asking yourself, no, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Can someone remind why are we doing this? Turn to your wife, your wife turns to you and say, no, what are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And you just kind of like, like, how did we get here? And you have to be able to answer that why, because if you can't, and there's been books about written, there's been books about written about it, you know, start with why, and, and these books that have been, and, and it's the basic human question. It's the, it's the question that we see all through the book of Job. You know, like we can see the, the oldest, one of the oldest books of the Bible speaking about the oldest question of humankind that's always been out there. Why? Why? Big question mark. And Paul here is making this very clear. And I love, I love in Christianity because we have a big answer to why. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have answers because we don't have reasons what or how or when, but we can say why. Like, I don't know when God's going to answer people's prayers. I don't know how God's going to build a church. I don't know how, I don't know, I don't know the result or what is the cause that's going to, what is the cause that's going to create a result that something would happen. I don't know the answer set, but I do know the answer why. I know why we do what we do. And we ask ourselves that every morning. Why do we do what we do? Paul said, yeah, I'm not here to do something. Baptizing is great. It's part of the commandment, right? Mm-hmm. Preach, teach, make the, baptize in the, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples. That's not the order of that verse, but I'm getting it close enough. And the, and, and the command of that verse is not to go. The command is on that verse. The imperative there is not on go, or the imperative there in the Greek is not on baptize, or it is make disciples. And so that is the primary work. When you think about the body of Christ and what we do, that's what we do. Like, you know, Franz with his employees, you know, little by little, he's sharing Christ with them. He's, 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 he's showing Christ to them. He's talking with them. You know, like our, you know, our people that we cross paths with, our neighbors, our desire is really not to first do something that is subsidiary to the gospel. But he said, Paul said, but to proclaim the gospel. And I like this in the Greek because in the Greek it doesn't say, but to proclaim the gospel, it says, but to evangelize. I mean, that's literally the translation there. It's like the Greek word there is, ev- ev- it's, it's where do we get evangelism, but it ends with ezo, which is, a, it's a picture. It's like, it's not preaching the gospel or God. It's, we can't translate that word the way it is in the Greek. It's like, you can, you can say preach the gospel or proclaim the gospel, but it just has that word. And, and we could say evangelize. And it's like the whole, the, whole, the whole purpose of the why we have breath today is, is really to walk out the gospel. Paul went to Peter, remember, in the book of Galatians. And Peter was starting to succumb to, he was starting to get intimidated by the religious, intimidating, mm-hmm. um, what do you call these people? Power people, religious power people that have really big, powerful personalities. And you... And they suck up all the air in the room and you walk into the room and they, you know, they, they're very influential in people's lives and it may not even necessarily be God. Mm-hmm. And so Peter's with these guys and they're called the Judaizers. They're religious. They're like the religious elites and, and they're very proud and they're very arrogant and they were enemies of Christ and they were enemies of Paul. And they went around everywhere Paul went. These guys would show up the day after the Bible study or the day after the outreach and say, you know what, that guy, Paul, he's got it wrong. You've got to be, you've got to, you can get saved, but you've got to become a Jew. And you've got to walk out the whole law. And so, so what happened here was that. I think it's like, excuse me, that's the law of the land. Mm-hmm. That time. Uh, that, is that right? 
Yeah, that was like the law. It was a it was a religious it was a religious culture. I mean, it was a religious system that turned into a culture. And and so Paul here is like you know, like Paul's like is like I'm here to proclaim the gospel, and not with clever speech. And the word here in the Greek is Sophia. He's like I'm not trying to do this with like, like I think in the King James it's like words of wisdom or words you know like. Like in the and it's basically I'm not try, or eloquent speech I think one translation 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 puts it because you have these eloquent speakers you have these mm-hmm. um, anyway I've, I didn't finish the story about so Paul is I mean so Peter is in this group in Galatians chapter one with these Judaizers and then he is he is inf, he's influenced by them to segregate himself from the Gentiles and this is kind of a sad picture in one of the first church, in the first church in the body of Christ where you just see a clique or a segregation or a separating someone from someone else because of a certain ethnicity or because of a religious background or for whatever reason. And so Paul, so Paul sees us. Paul sees Peter like, like giving, giving these guys attention and giving these guys honor and then separating himself from the Gentiles like, because he knew the Gen- Judaizers would give him a hard time. Like, hey, they're Gentiles. They're not Jews. You're not supposed to eat with them. You're not supposed to associate with them. Um, and, and they're just like, they're bad people. And, you know, you got to look out for your reputation and all this talk, you know. And, and so Paul sees that and he goes to Peter and he says, he says, he said, I withstood Peter to this face. Can you imagine that? Paul was a guy that just, he, he wasn't afraid of people. So they withstood him. Like I walked right up to him. It was a tete-a-tete. It was a face-to-face. And I don't know how it was. You know, I, I kind of kind of imagine the way it was. Peter was a hard guy, so he probably needed some hard words. <laughs> and he, he said, before them all, right? He said, before them all, before them all. Maybe after a service or something like that. You know, Paul's over there with Peter at the, at the lunch table getting their food. And it happens right there. It was like, what's going on over yeah. there, you know? And so, so Paul says, you know what, like, and, and we don't, you know, it says that Paul said, because in the Greek, he said his steps, his orthopedia, his, his steps were not according to the gospel. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so like, so when we say the gospel, we have to understand that the gospel is not just, hey, believe on Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That is part, that is the gospel. But it's also this, it's the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's the great news. It's the, it's the, it's the thing that we preach to ourselves every day. Like, yes, I'm born again, but at the same time, like, I'm born again, so now I walk in the newness of life. I serve in the newness of life. I don't serve in the energy of the flesh. And so Paul here is talking to the Corinthians. He's saying, he goes, my life is the gospel. And, you know, because what I'm saying is, is that, you know, I truly believe in evangelism, and I'm a pastor that evangelizes. I feel like that that's what the New Testament tells me to do. Paul says to Timothy, make full proof of your ministry, do the work of an evangelist. So I understand that to be, as a pastor, that I should be engaged in my neighborhood, in our neighborhoods, and that I need to be, you know, and I, I need to have a, a system of discipline to do that. And so, but I feel like that, like, that, like, that, that is, that is, yes, that is, that is evangelism is in my mission, I'm to preach but I'm also to walk out the gospel in the way I live and breathe and the way I treat people as a new creation, that the gospel is the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
and it's what saves us and what keeps us. And so Paul here is saying, I'm here to proclaim the gospel, not with clever speech. And, you know, like I think we've all heard some, I mean, have you ever listened to somebody and you're just amazed at how such a great speaker they are? Like, you're just like, wow, that guy was such a great speaker. Mm-hmm. And like, how did he even say that? Like, he wasn't even reading notes. He was just, you know, he's just very, very eloquent. And Paul said, I'm not really about eloquence. And was it Spurgeon or one of the church fathers, maybe it was one of the church fathers that said one of the things that he wished he could see was, you know, some of the glories of Rome, but also to hear Paul preach. And to hear Paul preach, he wasn't necessarily maybe an eloquent, I mean, he was a great writer, but was he eloquent? Was he like a guy that could just hold an audience? I mean, I'm sure he could, but he wasn't Apollos who was just great with words. And so, Paul is saying here is that I'm here to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to evangelize, to live out the gospel, to like if we could take the word gospel and make a make a verb out of it, gospelize or gospel, gospel walk or just, you know, that's what I'm to do. Not with clever speech, because, you know, something when we use really complicated words, (laughs) somebody said it to me recently. They said, who said this to me? They said, uh. They were talking about, they said, yeah, in my family, when people just use big, complicated words, we just nod our heads because we know it's important, but we don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> and like, I was like, you know, and they were just joking. But I think that really Jesus talked about salt. Jesus talked about fish. He talked about light. He talked about, he talked about simple things. And I think that our speech needs to be very like, uh, it just needs to be not, we don't need to, we don't need to add anything to the message because if the seed is right, then the plant is going to be right and the fruit's going to be right. We don't need to worry about the outcome. If the seed is right, if we're planting a tomato seed, uh, we're not going to have apple trees grow out of that. It's going to, it's, it's going to be a, a tomato. And if we have the incorruptible seed, if we get that right, the seed of the word, if we get the seed of the sermon right, the, we, if what we say and do is based on the seed, which is salvation by grace, walking by faith, kept by the power of God, being conformed to the image of Christ on a daily basis, taking up our cross. If we get that right, then, then our fruit's going to be right. And, and he said, why, why do I not do that? Because the cross of Christ would be of none effect. I think it says in the King James, of none effect. Uh, one translation says that the, the cross of Christ would be emptied of its power, which I think is adding something there to the Greek. But in the Greek, it's like the the cross of Christ would be keno, or keno, which means to be emptied. And, you know, I was talking with my son in the car today, and, and we're talking about numbers. And, and he goes, Daddy, you know what 15 is? I go, what? He goes, it's a five and a one. I said, oh, okay. He goes, what's 18? And I didn't get it. He goes, it's an eight and a one. So, like, he's learning numbers, and, and uh, I said, Caleb, you know what a zero is? And he didn't know what a zero was. Because a zero was an integer. It wasn't something that was really introduced into math until later on in civilization. It was never a sense of the, there was never a sense of something being empty, like signifying something empty or void. And it wasn't, it wasn't until like later on, I don't know, I think it's the Phoenicians or one of these ancient cultures created this zero, which, which is an acknowledgement of an empty void. And I think that like when I think that when I think that when um, when that 
concept of emptiness and being empty and void didn't necessarily exist until later on in civilization. Meaning this, the original idea of the original idea of nature was that there was nothing empty, that everything that was empty would eventually be filled with something. And so here Paul is saying, if I try to use words or if I try to use programs and if I try to use anything else other than the true meaning of the gospel, which is I am so loved, I'm so valued, I'm so treasured that all of heaven is just, all, of, all the hosts of heaven are just totally, and we talked about this last week or the week before, so, in, so obsessed with the bride of Christ, us, the church, that we are like the headlines of every newspaper that comes out in heaven. That we are so loved, we're so holy, that we're so righteous, that we're in Christ, we are in the Trinity, we are part of the Trinity we're in Christ. And at the same time, there's something so broken about us. There's a fallen nature that, that, that we're more holy than we could even imagine. We're more precious, more loved, more, more, um, more valued than we could ever, ever imagine or dare to believe. And yet at the same time, we're more corrupt and more wicked and more broken than we could ever, ever dare to, 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 to acknowledge. And this is the gospel. The gospel is, is that in this great paradox... There is this great grace. The cross of Christ be emptied. And you know something? I want to just focus here and then I want to finish and then we can just have some comments and questions. The cross, lest the cross of Christ be emptied. This is the point of, I think, the whole book of First Corinthians is the cross of, of, of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about this here for a minute, okay? Let's back up to verse 10. And so he's talking about divisions. Divisions here is a word that describes a crack. A crack or a schism or a break or something where there's not some there's two things that are just not connecting, and it's like uh, it's like um, it's like a, a river that has washed out a bridge. It's just a disconnect, and he's saying that there are these disconnects among you, and then he says and and he said that and and he said that he said that I exhort you. And he said, and that, in verse 10, the, the purpose clause, that you be made complete in the same mind. What does that mean? This word made complete in the Greek really means to reconcile. It is this katarizo, which means like to, it means to cater, it means to like heal, to reconcile, to replace, to put back into place. And he says in the same mind and with the what? The same what? Purpose, right? This is talking about a purpose here. Paul is talking, this is really important. That unity does not come by just me, you and me saying, hey, let's agree on everything so that we don't disagree. Or let's like, you know, let's agree so that everybody feels okay. He's saying agreement comes by having the same mental disposition about things. And that is, and that is here, the same purpose. And this purpose here, this purpose, the purpose of God, which we're going to look at in a second, we just mentioned, is something that really unifies God's people. And this is what... This is what kind of keeps the church together. This is what keeps people together when there's conflicts in the church or disagreements or misunderstandings or offenses that are being, that have happened, which happen. Things will be, things will happen. Things will be said. I'm sure it'll happen. And it'll be like question marks. And Paul is saying here that where is the same, the same here in the Greek is, is a word is autos. And it means, it doesn't mean like the same, like exact, it means that, it means that, it's where we get the word automation from or auto. And what it means is, one of the ideas is that, that when someone says something or there's a question that comes up, there's the same response automatically. There's like this, we're all on the same page. 
There's not like this hesitation, like, oh, well, I don't know, you know. And because, because we're on the same page, not because of personality or that we're following a personality or even because of the denomination. We're on the same page because of the name of Jesus Christ. And when we, when we know Christ, our mind is healed and we have the mind of Christ. And, and he said that there are these quarrels among you. There are these arguments. The word quarrel here comes from from the word division. And divisions comes from when there's two when there's two parties with different agendas. Like what is the purpose of this party? What's the purpose of that party? And when you have individuals in a group of whatever whatever kind of group in a business or in a family or in a church that have j- different agendas like my selfish agenda or Christ's agenda which is Christ, which is the gospel. Like when there are these different agendas, and then divisions come, and then because these quarrels happen, quarrels happen because of the divisions, and quarrels always result in personality rapport. And what I mean by that is, is that there are these personal personality appreciation groups. You know, maybe that's a '70s word or an '80s term, but you know, the personality appreciation groups. You know, like I like that guy's personality. You know, like like when he talks, I can really. You know, like he's really on my level. And those are those are important things. But the question is, is, is it wisdom? Is it like the wisdom of words that's making the cross of none effects? Or is it really the words of the cross of Christ, which I want to get to in a second here? And then next Wednesday, we're going to really hit this hard. We're going to talk about what is the power of God. We're going to really hit that hard because it's what's talked about here in verse 18. What Paul is saying here is that, like he said, there are these quarrels, and there, there are people that are saying, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos, I'm with Cephas, which is Peter, and I'm with Christ. You know, you have the, the, the Christ-only crowd, which is like, I don't need a church, I don't need, I can just, I got my internet, and I've got my Bible, which is true, we need to have a vertical with God, but when my vertical and my, devo- and my walk with God leads me to an isolation and a separation from the body of Christ, then I don't think it's healthy. God's created us for body life, for community. And I remember as a family, my dad, my mom, I was very young. My dad had gotten saved. My mom was a believer for a while. And for the longest time, we couldn't find a church. And it was very hard for my family. Very hard. And we just knew the whole time. And if you've ever been in that place, then you just know what that feeling is like. Like day after day, you're just thinking, like, I'm missing my, I'm missing my people. You know, I'm missing my body. I'm missing my, I'm missing the body of Christ. And so Paul here is saying that like when we have different, when we don't understand our eternal purpose as a church, that leads to divisions and schisms. And those schisms are going to lead to quarrels and these arguments. And guess what? People will argue in churches about the color of the paint or what we should be doing on Tuesday or on, for, on Friday or on Sunday. There's going to be these arguments that really lead into something that just, that just creates a division. Like we start, we start, you know, we start, like it become this big, this like the color of the curtains or the rug or something. It becomes this big moral argument, you know what I'm saying? And it just leads to division. And this happens whenever a body of people lose sight of the gospel of grace. And this is the whole story of the book of Galatians. You know, when we were talking about Wednesday nights, Pastor Adam and I were just talking. We could I, the choice was Corinthians or Galatians. You know, I'm just thinking about Galatians and maybe Galatians was a was a church that lost sight of its purpose because it lost sight of grace. And if we lose sight of the gospel of grace, and we lose sight of the grace that we have, 
when you lose sight of the grace of God, it affects my relationships. It reflects your, it affects your business. It affects your health. It affects your family. And this is what happens. They lost sight of the gospel of grace. And that led to divisions and led to quarrels. And then those quarrels led to personality appreciation groups. You know what? I don't like that guy. I like this guy. He's my, he's my man over here, you know? And what happens is, is that, like, you know, I look at Franz. I'm just using Franz as an example. You know, Franz is like, you know, he likes, you know, he likes another preacher or something like that, and maybe. And, and like, and I know that, and I'm just thinking, well, you know, Franz is, he's on another level. He's on another frequency. He's like, we're, we're disconnected. And what happens is that's the beginning of a church split. And, you know, something you could see that, not Franz is going to create a church split. But I've seen it happen. And it doesn't, it doesn't happen in two years. It happens in 10, 15 years. 10, 15 years later, you're just like, and I remember seeing it one time, like, I remember, like, you know, just thinking, like, there's, like, two groups here. There's, like, the group that's following that guy, and there's a group that's following that guy, and, 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 like, these two guys just didn't have, like, they didn't have a great relationship, and, and I just remember seeing that, and, and what, what does Paul say here? What's the question? Was Paul what? He brings up the cross. And this is the point I want to make today. I'm saying a lot of stuff here, but here is the, here's the, what is our unity based on? That we all like to play golf or that we're all, we all like living in the woodlands or like we all have a certain car, we have a certain lifestyle whatever, or we're, you know, ethnicity or something like, no, our, our cohesiveness is that I'm taking up my cross every day and so is my wife and so is everyone else. You guys are taking up your cross and when we meet together, we have unity because, mm-hmm. guess what? The flesh has been crucified on a practical level. Okay, what does the cross mean? The cross, I remember when going to Bible school and hearing so much taught about the cross, the cross, you know, the cross. And you know what the cross is? The cross is when, when you read the Stavros, when you read this in the Greek, it's like, you know, the person that was crucified, their hands were crucified were, were immobilized, were like pinned to a piece of wood. He was going nowhere. And his, his, he could not do anything, and his feet could not go anywhere. And, and he was just pinned to that cross. He could not get out of that situation. And this cross was a situation that, that Jesus was in because he chose to submit to the Father's will. And that's what a cross is for a Christian. The cross is not, I've got health problems, or I've got financial problems. You know, the cross may reveal itself in those circumstances, but a cross may also be, be um, it may be, uh, it may re- reveal itself in prosperity. But a cross is when you and I voluntarily, or maybe even involuntarily, find ourselves in a circumstance where we cannot get out of that, but we, all we can do is just say, Father, not by my will, but thy be done. Into my hands I commit your spirit, my spirit. Like this whole conversation of submission, like surrender to God. Like, that's the cross. The cross is like when my flesh, in John chapter 6, verse 63, I think it's 63, it says that, like, you know, in Matthew chapter 12, you know, um, Jesus is talking about the flesh is weak, right? In the Greek, it doesn't mean weak. It means cut off. There's like, just, just like it's done. Not weak, like, you know, weak, I could lift five pounds, you know. But the flesh is like, it has zero capacity. The, you and I in our flesh cannot understand the plan of God, and we cannot continue in the plan of God. We have no grace for life. And at that moment, we just say, God, I surrender. I surrender to you. And that is when the cross takes over. The body of Christ is a group of people that come together, that, and we sooner or later discover we're broken people, 
but we're all looking at the cross saying, you know what, God, I'm surrendering my rights. I'm surrendering not my convictions. I'm not surrendering my value. I'm not surrendering who I am in Christ, but I'm surrendering my right to live in my flesh in this circumstance. And that's the cross. That's the cross life. And when, when you have a group of people that do that, the cross breaks, you know, the cross breaks the, the vessel and the treasure comes out. That's when there's rich fellowship in a church. That's when, that's, when, that's when the alabaster box is broken and there's a fragrance in the room. That's when you, when you go to a church, there's an anointing there. And, and I tell you, like, if you take up your cross and I take up my cross on a daily basis, and we're going to fail sometimes, we just need to rebound, confess it, rebound, and, and keep going forward in, in grace. But if we take up our cross on a continual basis, there's not going to be anything between us and other people. And if there is that something comes up, there's always like this humility. Okay, next to the last point here I want to make, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, talks about, it's just my go-to verse, or Paul's go-to verse, when he's talking about when there's a disagreement or a misunderstanding. Suppose there's a, dis, you know, something, I, I think that the chairs need to be green, um, but, you know, he thinks the chairs should be purple. You know, like, it's just a crazy... Like, you know, this is not, okay, this is not a theological cardinal doctrine of the Bible. So let's approach this uh, in an attitude of Philippians chapter 2. And let's read that, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. And this is like, this is how we approach when we're taking up the cross in our life and we're not living in the rights that we have in the flesh and we decide to like walk through, walk out the cross this is how we approach this is how we approach conflict. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, and this is New King James, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill ye Oh, I just that's the King James. I know all these verses in the King James, right? Mm-hmm. So fulfill my joy by being like minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. And then he says in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. I think it's vainglory in the King James, right? Mm -hmm. But in lowliness of mind. Not, not, lowliness of mind is not self-deprecation or false humility. Lowliness of mind is, I'm not going to exercise myself in thinking imaginations about people. Because I don't, I just don't know. You know, I just don't know. Let each esteem others better than themselves. And don't let each one of you not look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is the attitude that I want to have when I approach a conflict. Like, okay, if there's any consolation, I want to find some consolation. I want to find comfort of love. If any fellowship of the Spirit. These are the things I'm looking for in my relationship when I have a conflict, when I'm experiencing some kind of division or, or disconnect between people. Any affection and mercy. Like-mindedness. Like, where do we agree like, let's start there, you know. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Um, and when we walk out the cross, then that's the way we're thinking about conflict. And, and that's how we're dealing with division. Because, and i just wrap it up with this, is that otherwise, if I'm in a church, or if we are a church, if Evergrace is a church, that is, and I don't think we are, but if we ever became a church that's just centered around a personality or centered around a, a, a certain kind of eloquent ki- kind of 
speaking or some kind of action that we do, you know, if that's really what our Christianity becomes, if that is what our church becomes, then we are making the cross of Christ of none effect. We are, Paul, uh, Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He said, he said, by your actions, you are making, you're making the, the word of God of none effect. It's very possible that our actions, our words, the way we function, that we are taking the power of the cross, which has the power to crucify our flesh, and not only that, but to give life in a, in a relationship that doesn't exist. When that person and me, we both go to a cross and then we meet together, we are broken vessels. And what are we sharing? We're sharing Christ. We're sharing anointing. We're sharing the same mind. We're saying, we're saying wasn't that an amazing weekend? You know, wasn't it? And, we, and you know, I just, I, I have to say that I feel like we have such great unity in this church. And I, I'm not speaking to anything like that we have disunity. I'm just saying that that like if my agenda becomes anything other than the gospel, then I'm disconnected. I'm just disconnected. I'm disconnected. Something's like, you know, and it happens. Sometimes when we get disconnected, we got to get reconnected with the heart of Christ. And when Jesus says in John 4, I must needs go to Samaria. I mean, yeah, to Samaria. To Samaria, right? Yeah, yeah Samaria. I must needs go there. <laughs> And it's like, you know, I'm going to walk 24 miles. Why? Because he's, he is, the, Jesus is connected. He's surrendered to the Father's will. And the cross was not something that he just was nailed to when he died. It was something that he carried every day. It was a surrender to the Father's will. And he said, my meat is to do the will of the Father. And when we do that, when we're functioning that way, then there is this oozing of the fragrance of the anointing. And it, it, there's, people can smell it. You know, demons can smell it. You know, your family can smell it. People in the HEB can smell it. There's something that's different about you because we are, um, we're, we're surrendered to, and that's a powerful cross. Otherwise, I can live in the wisdom of words. I can live in the energy of the flesh. I can have a form of godliness without the power thereof. I can make the message about being good or being being anything that's moral, but that comes short of the righteousness of God. I can actually, I mean, I'm a patriot, but I can actually live in such a level of patriotism that I'm actually, I'm actually shifting God off his throne. And I'm starting to worship something else. that's like, that's not the kingdom of God. I'm a patriot. I love my country. I love being, I love living in Texas. This is like, I, I wouldn't, I don't want to live in any other state. This is the place to be, I think right now in this time of, that we live in. But like we are citizens of God, heaven first and I think that any time that we get disconnected from that, we're going to discover friction and, and just chronic issues in our relationships until we come to the point where we're like, you know what, let's go to the cross. Let's not analyze it. Let's not do psychoanalysis. Let's not get all psychological or introverted or morbid introspection where we all live in just a sense of condemnation. But let's just do when two people, married couple or friends or people or a church, they look at the cross, at that point they realize that um, we live in a powerful Christianity and this is very powerful. And it's okay if like we're not clever. You know, I think that, you know, I, I think some pastors, and, and I didn't see this really until I moved to Texas, but I think there's some pastors that their, their goal really is that their message on Sundays would be so eloquent. And I, th- I get it. They want to communicate well. But there's so much emphasis in the words, we kind of actually can miss the spirit. We can, what's the spirit saying to the church? And I'd rather have a few words 
that, you know, that may not be the most eloquent, but really have like an anointing because if there's no anointing, guys, we're missing the boat. We can go home. I don't, I mean, if God doesn't show up, I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, you know, if there's no anointing, people come, the, the, the yoke's not broken, right? And I say this before, and I'll say it again, is that one of the scariest things I think I can think as a pastor is that people come to our service, come to our meetings, come to our fellowships, and they walk away not having sensed Christ. Now, it's going to happen sometimes. I mean, there's going to be dry times. I get it. But I mean, if it's a consistent time where we're, where, where we're grieving the spirit because we're living in the energy of the flesh or the energy of clever words or clever programs or you know, political campaigns, or, and these are all important, but it's like if we miss the most important thing, which is the cross of Christ, surrender to the perfect will of God, like, like saying goodbye to my rights and saying hello to my, my, my righteousness in Christ. And when we live that way, then we just live with this power in our life. And, and we can talk like Paul. You know, like Paul said, I'm, a, I'm an apostle by the will of God, right? Who can talk like that, right? But then he can say at the same time, I'm a chief of sinners. And that's in the present tense. Somebody the other day tried to tell me, oh, that was when Paul, Paul was referring to himself when he was unsaved. But that's in the present tense in the Greek. Paul's saying, I am the chief of sinners presently. Like, I don't know how that, what that means. Like Romans chapter 7 I don't do the things I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. Like, and again, somebody said that that, is for, that was referring to when he was unsafe. I, I understand the argument, but that is part of our humanity. Like, there are times in the day where like, we have to rebound seven times. You know, If a man falls seven times in a day and gets back up, right? the righteous man falls down seven times and gets back up. That is, it's okay. There's no condemnation. Don't get, dis- don't get disconnected from the gospel, the finished work. And, and that's, what, that's what I want to strive to do as a pastor. I just want us to be as a community, however big or small we are. It's not for me the issue at all. I would love to see many, many people, of course. But the, the main thing for me is, is that we would have a cross-centered, Christ-centered fellowship. Because that, that, then at least we have solutions. <laughs> it's like things come up, right? Mm-hmm. Like It's like, okay, guess what? We got to go to the cross, pray, um, humble ourselves, and, and understand there's only one great one, and that's Christ in our midst. Otherwise, we just get into this personality thing. Like I, you know, we get arrogant, we get you know, get, we get hard, and we start falling. Personalities become the big thing, and and there's no longer any humility. There's no more brokenness. There's no more Philippians chapter two. So I'm talking a really long time here, forty minutes. But um, next week, I want to just talk about. Christ crucified and the power and the wisdom of God. This is going to be one of, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I think it's, I think like when we talk about the power of God, you know, we're looking for signs and wonders which God does. But that's not the message. The message is the gospel. And I just want to, I just want to warn us, if, any, if anybody ever tells you that you don't have enough faith or tells your spouse or tells someone in your family, hey, you don't have enough faith, and God, that's why God's not healing you, that's why God's not blessing you. you need, we need to understand that that's not the message of the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's never based, and I hear it happen. I, I hear people, I had two ladies three month, four, six months ago come to me and said, this was told to us, can you tell me, is this right? I feel so condemned. Mm-hmm. And they're just sweetest people. you know. It's like, and, and, you, and, and this is just not the message. Anytime you have a message that puts the emphasis on your faith, 
on your morality, on your effort, on your sinlessness, or whatever it is. Anytime a gospel message is placed on you in any way, we're missing the power of the cross and we're missing that message. And when that happens, it all becomes about personalities and it becomes all about um, just an empty cross, an empty cross. And, and that, it shouldn't be that way. Amen? So...